Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, happy to be with you on this Tuesday morning, September 27th. It is a beautiful sunrise outside, and the temperatures are just lovely, if I do say so myself. Let's begin our morning in prayer as we always do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular, for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We've got got a good show in store for you today. Um, It's a little bit of one of those, you know... uh, how do I want to put this? You know, we we had Radiothon last week. I took the day off yesterday. It was good to have the day off. Went on a date with my wife for lunch. I think it's the first time the two of us have gone to lunch together in ages. And uh, absolutely delicious food, but most importantly, great time spent together. And then tomorrow, we're hitting the road after the show. We're actually heading out to Phoenix for the uh, Catholic Radio Conference. I'm very excited about that, hoping to bring you some goodies back from some of our uh, friends and Catholic radio out there. Who knows who we'll meet. So today we're, we're just kind of saying, look, we want to have a show. We want to have a good show. We want to do some good things. We have Father Jeffrey Kirby with us today to talk about Archangels, who we're going to celebrate on Thursday of this week. Uh, but since I'm not going to be here Thursday of this week, we're going to have that conversation today. And then also we want to talk about contrition today. And we talked about that with Father Wade Menezes quite some time ago. It's been a while since we've had him on and given everything going on, I thought, well, let's go back and revisit that because we need to talk about contrition. It's one of those things we don't talk about enough. So we're going to talk about it today. And we have a catechist for you. And that's the show. I mean, by the time we get through all of that, it's hard to believe it, but that will be the entire show. So let's go now to Mike Roberts. Today, it's the memorial of St. Vincent de Paul. St. Vincent de Paul seems to be everywhere. He worked with St. Louise de Marillac to found the Daughters of Charity. He's the patron saint of all charities, de Paul Hospital, and of course, the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Wherever there's a need, St. Vincent de Paul seems to be there and calling us. Born in France in 1581, his parents were poor farmers. Vincent was a gifted student, and when he was 15, his father sold two oxen so he could go to seminary. He was ordained at 19, but not allowed to practice as a priest until 24. Vincent had quite a journey for several years. Some versions of his life suggested he was abducted and sold into slavery twice before escaping back to France. Either way, he ended up in Rome for more study, was sent back to France on a mission for Henry VI, and then there he became a parish priest. From his parish, he formed a confraternity of women to help the poor. The effort was so successful, it spread to Paris. With the help of St. Louise de Merlec came the work that led to the Daughters of Charity. He helped collect funds for hospitals, missionary projects, victims of war, and the ransom of galley slaves in North Africa. In 1622, Vincent became the superior of the Congregation of the Mission which became known as the Vincentians. He died in 1660, but his work through so many channels continues to spread 
all over the world and to this day. St. Vincent de Paul, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. How often do you find yourself saying, I'm sorry? It's something that uh, the kids say more and more. In fact, the other day we were running late getting out the door to get to Mass, and my five-year-old was playing with her toys. And I said, honey, we have to go right now. We are going to be late for Mass if we don't leave. And she looked up at me and said, sorry, and then went right back to playing with her toys. And I said, we got to have a talk about what the word sorry means. And we have to go, more importantly. Um, but contrition, it's one of those things that I, I think about often. Do we talk enough about it? I say no. Why? Well, we need, we need to have contrite hearts. It's one of the prerequisites for going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. But enough of me yammering on about uh, contrition. Let's go back to this interview we did uh, quite some time ago with Father Wade Menezes on the subject of contrition. We are back. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. Today we are grateful to speak with Father Wade Menezes. Father Wade is a member of the Fathers of Mercy, a missionary preaching religious congregation based in Auburn, Kentucky. In addition to his work with the Order, Father is a contributing author for several Catholic publications. He has authored two books, is the host of EWTN Global Catholic Radio's Open Line Tuesday, which airs weekly at 2 p.m., right here on Covenant Network. Father, so good to have you with us today. Thank you, Adam, for this opportunity. It's glad to be with you. Wonderful. Father, we are talking today about repentance. We are talking about trying to free ourselves from sin. We've long been taught in our formation, especially regarding the the Sacrament of Reconciliation, that we should aspire toward perfect contrition. So two questions right off the bat. What is perfect contrition, and how can we focus our prayer lives so that we would grow towards this goal? Okay, great question. To talk about perfect contrition, there's obviously such a thing as imperfect contrition. And the distinction between the two uh, regarding contrition is a distinction uh, regarding why the person is sorry for their sins. Uh, we say that perfect contrition is when one is sorry for their sins, most of all because they have offended God, who is all good and deserving of all of one's love. Think of the traditional version there of the act of contrition. Um, but if one is sorry for their sins and detests them only for human motives, for example, because one dreads the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, or say because you've been asked to be a godparent and the rules require you to be in good standing with the Church, this would be imperfect contrition, also known as attrition. Uh, the great news here, however, Adam, is that uh, Holy Mother Church considers imperfect contrition, that is, a uh, fear of divine justice, even if mixed with human motives, uh, to be a sufficient basis for sorrow for the sacrament of, of confession. In other words, one does not need only perfect contrition for the confession to be valid. Okay, uh, St. Peter Damien, great, great uh, Church Father, says this. He says, uh, where there is justice as well as fear, adversity will surely test the spirit. 
but it is not the torment of a slave, rather it is the discipline of a child by its parent. What he's telling us there is the distinction between a servile fear, the fear that a, a, a subordinate has uh, uh, from a, a, a superior, we could say, a fear of punishment, where a filial fear is the fear of a child who doesn't want to d- disappoint the parent. Why? Precisely because he knows the parent loves him. In other words, filial fear has nothing to do with the fear of punishment like servile fear does. So this is primarily the distinction between perfect contrition and imperfect contrition. Again, that traditional act of contrition, right? That's from our favorite Catholic prayer book. Uh, those prayers found at the back of the Baltimore Catechism, if, if we can remember the Baltimore Catechism. Uh, and I detest all my sins because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. Imperfect contrition. But most of all, I detest my sins because they have offended you, my God, who art all good and deserving of all of my love. Perfect contrition. Okay? Either one suffices for the sacrament of penance, but it's better to have the perfect contrition on a continuum in one's life, which brings me to the answer to the second part of your question. How do we arrive at that, where the perfect contrition is normative? It's the norm in the person's life. Well, it's more of a psychological reality that we can attain and arrive at in a variety of ways. For example, getting into the habit of making that morning offering right when we get up. I love the practice of husbands and wives making a morning offering together when they get up in the morning. Uh, or, or an individual making the, the, the morning offering, say in honor of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, where you are clearly dedicating your entire day to God because you want all to be for Him, your prayer, your work, your recreation, all for God that day. And, and so, so the perfect contrition, you, you don't want to offend Him. You want everything to be done to please Him. You, everything you do, your joys, your sorrows, your sufferings, again, like the traditional morning offering tells us, you want to offer in reparation for sins and blasphemies against His Sacred Heart. Well, clearly, this is a way of arriving uh, at, at a psychological state on a, on a normative level, on a continuum, if you will, to have and want to have that perfect contrition, where you detest all evils, your own evils that you commit, and the evils of the world, even those that are beyond your control, you, you detest all of them because they've offended God. That's the goal we want to arrive at. That is a great goal, a great goal for us, and, and very practical advice. So thank you for that. Father, you, you've somewhat proactively answered the next question that I was going to ask you. I have myself and several friends that I've spoken with through the course of the years, uh, I've worked in ministry, come to this this wrestling from time to time where I fall into this trap, I have sinned, and I am sorry for my sin, especially when it's a mortal sin, it, with that imperfect contrition. I, I'm now afraid that if I get hit by a bus today, um, you know, perhaps it's storming and I have to drive, um, I have that fear. What what would happen if I died today? And and that fear is what drives me to get to the sacrament of reconciliation. But one of the lies that I'm tempted to to fall into, and I know this has been a struggle for some of my friends and, and surely for some of our listeners, is this trap that, you know, I might as well just give up because it seems like I'm bringing the same sins over and over to confession. And if I really loved God, if I had that perfect contrition— Maybe I wouldn't struggle with this sin 
so much, and, and yet it seems like I keep going over and over again because to the sacrament because of imperfect contrition, because I do fear the loss of hell. What encouragement would you offer me or our listeners who find themselves in that state? Okay, great, great series of questions. First of all, only one thing sends a person to hell by their own doing. I say by their own doing, of course, because it's solemn church teaching that God sends no one to hell. If a soul goes to hell to be reunited with their body in hell at the time of the second coming of Christ, it's through their own doing. And only one thing, period, one thing, one thing, period, I want to emphasize that, sends a person by their own doing to hell. What is it? It's purposeful, willful, unrepentant, mortal sin. Purposeful, willful, unrepentant, mortal sin. How many mortal sins, Father Wade? 27, 6, 302? No, just one. Because that one willful, purposeful, unrepentant, mortal sin casts you off from your supernatural relationship with God, and mind you, your supernatural relationship with others. So other than that, as long as we are willing to confess it and take it to the sacrament of penance, we should not fear the fires of hell, and instead focus on that living of the perfect contrition, which is more of a psychological state, where we, uh, where we detest all evil because it has offended God. Okay? Uh, by the way, it's also okay to still hang on to that imperfect contrition, it's human, and it's okay to dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. I want to make that clear. We should never lose sight, truly, of the reality of wanting to have an imperfect contrition as well, although the perfect contrition is more just that. It's more perfect, because God is first and ourselves are second. Where if you have only imperfect contrition, you put yourself first and God second, and we don't want that. That said, an imperfect contrition can also be a healthy thing. What is a mortal sin? It's constitutive of three elements, grave matter, done with fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of your will. Grave matter, meaning what? It contravenes God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, and seriously so. So grave matter. Number two, it's done with fullness of knowledge. In other words, you have full knowledge that it contravenes God's moral law, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and seriously so. And number three, the third element, you do it with deliberate consent of your will, anyway. In other words, you carry out the action anyway. Again, grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of your will. If any one or two of those three elements are missing, Adam, you've committed a venial sin. Okay, so if all three are present and you've committed a mortal sin, don't go scrupulous on God. Don't go scrupulous on neighbor. Don't go scrupulous on self. What does the Church teach about that? She teaches, number one, thank God you have a well-enough-informed conscience that you know you've committed a mortal sin with all three elements present. That's a great thing. That's what sets human persons apart from the rest of the animal-mammal kingdom. We have rationality, intellect, and freedom to choose. So you have the rationality, the intellect, that has told you, I've committed a mortal sin. All three elements have been present in this action I've carried out grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent. I choose now to confess it. I choose now to go to confession, to confess it. Amen to that. That's a great thing. Those things should keep you away from scrupulosity. And the Church teaches, in fact, it's in canon law, 
should one realize they've committed a mortal sin, again, with all three elements present, because that's what constitutes a mortal sin, you are duty-bound to get to confession as soon as is reasonably possible. For most people, that as soon as reasonably possible, quote-unquote, is going to be the forthcoming Saturday regular confession times at their local parish. Now, if they want, they can call their pastor and make a particular appointment uh, or a private individual appointment midweek on a Wednesday. That's fine. That's noble. That's heroic. That's a great thing to do. But most people, because of their 40- to 50-hour work week, what canon law describes as getting to confession as soon as is reasonably possible is going to be the regular forthcoming Saturday confession times from 2.30 to 3.30 at your local Anytown Parish USA. Okay? There is something else we need to do, though, and that is, as soon as you've recognized you've made that mortal sin, you've committed that mortal sin, make an act of perfect contrition. Pray the traditional act of contrition that, that has in it, by way of its wording, as I said earlier, both the imperfect and the perfect desire to want to be reconciled with God. It, it words both the imperfect contrition and the perfect contrition. So make that act of contrition as soon as you can, as, well, as soon as you've committed the mortal sin, and then get to confession as soon as is reasonably possible. The Church doesn't want scrupulous souls. The Blessed Trinity doesn't want scrupulous souls. The Blessed Mother and the Saints, your guardian angel, don't want scrupulous souls. There's only one entity that wants a scrupulous soul. Who is that? I have a good idea what the answer to this is. Go ahead and say it. I, I want to say it's the devil. It's the devil, Adam. That's right. It's the devil. I don't mean the devil, Adam. I mean it's the <laughs> devil, comma, Adam. Okay. Well, that, that, that's all right. Every Lent we come to the cycle of readings and we hear about the happy fault of Adam. I used to be a church music director and everyone would turn and look at me and I'm like, no, they're not talking about me. At least I don't think so. I, I don't think I made a, an appearance in the sacred scriptures. Adam, our Catholic faith is just so awesome and so joyful to live in. It's so balanced. It leads the person to the fullness of truth, the fullness of joy, the, the fullness of sanctity. Now, I want to I wanna add now to the second part of your second question, that this think, type of thing keeps happening because that one particular thing, whatever it is, keeps leading us to sin. Well, this is a question of detachment, okay? detachment. And I talk about both the perfect and imperfect contrition in my new book, Overcoming the Evil Within, The Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy, and ta-da! I also talk about detachment and the importance of detachment. St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that detachment is, quote, loving persons, places, and things in the way that God intends us to love them, end quote. That is, for their genuine goodness, which is always a reflection of God's own goodness in our life. Detachment, St. Thomas says, is, quote, that virtue which frees an individual from any inordinate attachment, meaning a disordered attachment, meaning an attachment that's out of order, that frees an individual from any inordinate attachment to another person, place, object, or state of mind. True detachment is not simply a lack of care. Rather, it is a true, authentic liberation from any excessive affection that would hinder one's love and worship of God. So, as Catholics, we love wine. 
Believe me, I'm Portuguese, I know, okay? We even use wine as matter for the matter in the Eucharist, okay? Jesus' first public miracle involved wine. We love wine. However, if your love of wine becomes five glasses per night when you get home from work, Adam, because that's the only way you can deal with what's an already crumbling marriage, then sorry, uh uh-uh, as Catholics, we don't love wine. But we love Alcoholics Anonymous, and we love the 12-step program, okay? As Catholics, we love just anger. It's what Jesus expressed with the money changers in the temple. But as Catholics, uh uh-uh, we don't love unjust anger. You haven't talked to your brother-in-law in two and a half years because he's never returned your chainsaw? Grow up. What happens at the family gatherings like Christmas and Thanksgiving? Whosever house everybody's gathered at, there's 50 to 60 relatives, right? Everybody tiptoes around you and your brother-in-law because everybody in the family, extended family, everybody knows the two of you haven't talked now for two and a half years. So the two of you are causing the 60 relatives at Thanksgiving or Christmas to tiptoe and to, to be on eggs at the family gathering. Both of you need to have a come-to-Jesus meeting and grow up. And you need to give your brother-in-law the chainsaw and go out and buy yourself a new one and heal this rift. Be the bigger man. That's what you need to do. But see, we're very stubborn. We're wounded. Result into the fall of the original sin, our first parents. Okay? So there's any types of issues, dependencies, and, and, and uh, uh, sins that infect our lives. And we need to overcome these things. And we overcome them especially through two of the seven sacraments that can be received frequently. And repetitiously, what two sacraments are those of the seven? Reconciliation in the Eucharist? That's exactly right. Three more of the sacraments, which bring us up to five, can only be received once. That's it, period, once. Baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. The last two sacraments, which bring us up to seven, total now, can be received repetitiously, meaning again, but not frequently, not daily if you want them. What are they? Matrimony and the anointing of the sick. So, for example, if your spouse dies, you can marry again, right? Right. And any time you begin to be in danger of death because of sickness or old age, you can receive the anointing of the sick again, right? In fact, those in a persistent illness state, like ongoing cancer, they're an automatic candidate for the anointing of the sick faithfully once a month. Okay, but it wouldn't be received daily. But Eucharist and confession, oh yeah, bring them on. Bring them on. Why? Because these are the two sustaining sacraments. Okay, and our Lord set it up that way for a reason. Not that I want a person to go to daily confession if it's based on scrupulosity. That wouldn't be a healthy thing either. But that said, technically speaking, technically speaking, you can receive confession daily. There's no church discipline law that's against that. Okay, and the, the more common thing you see, like in the lives of St. John Paul II and St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, is to go to confession faithfully once a week. Uh, is it because they had mortal sin? I doubt it. I believe they were making devotional confessions, where even venial sins could be confessed, and you still obtain graces from the sacrament. So we want a healthy detachment. Detachment, again, Adam, is loving persons, places, and things the way God intends us to love them. Not in an ordinate way, in an inordinate way, a way that's out of order, Okay. Uh, do I love my golf game too much, to the point that it takes me away from my wife and kids on weekends? 
if I love my golf game that much, even though there's nothing intrinsically evil about golf, okay, if I love golf that much that automatically every single weekend it takes me away from my wife and kids, there's a problem. We could even call it an addictive behavior, okay? So we need to have a healthy attachment to golf. We need to have a healthy detachment from golf. So there you have it. There we have it. You know, Father, I'm so glad you put it that way because I read all of the time, you know, an indulgence is available. A plenary indulgence is available, but it requires that detachment from sin. And I love the beautiful aspect of our church and our faith that that Holy Mother Church does not ask us to do something that is impossible. Our Lord does not ask us to do something that is impossible. But I have often said to myself, can I, is it even possible for me to be fully detached from sin, even venial sin, as the conditions for an indulgence so often state? And and you have made it clear, it is possible. It requires discipline, it requires prayer, and it requires the sacraments. Yeah, correct. I mean, look at internet pornography, the scourge of the day, right? A multi-billion, that's what the B, a multi-billion dollar industry. Is your vice of internet pornography, I would ask the person, is it is it daily? Because there's obviously an, un, an unhealthy attachment to the internet use that leads you to the sin of internet pornography. Okay, versus you falling into that sin once every three months. I would say that that's not viceful. It's still a bad habit, even at once every three months. That's four times a year. But at least you're on your way to freedom from that habit uh, when compared to somebody who falls into it you know, weekly or daily, there's a big problem there. So we can gradually, gradually have a healthy detachment to things. Again, the Internet, we're Catholic, right? We're, we're, not, we're not Amish, and I don't say that negative against my Amish brothers and sisters. We have several Amish families that live here in south-central Kentucky, right near the Fathers of Mercy, but they'll tell you themselves. They're anti-technology. They will tell you that themselves, Okay. We Catholics are not anti-technology. We see the Internet as a beautiful, beautiful invention. Okay? The Internet in and of itself is not intrinsically evil, like abortion or murder or homosexual activity is intrinsically evil. Okay? Fornication, adultery, those things are intrinsically evil. They can never, ever, ever, ever be done. They contravene God's moral law. We would not say that about the glass of wine. That, that wine is intrinsically evil. We would not say that about the Internet. We would not say that about the golf game. However, these things can become an evil in the individual person's life if they go unchecked. And you can develop a healthy detachment from these things and use them appropriately. Remember, the glass of wine, the Internet, the, internet, the golf game, they are to be used appropriately in the person's life. Okay, they signify a goodness, which is um, uh, a way of looking at God's own goodness in my life. These things have made my life easier, like the Internet. God, God wants me to use these things, but in a proper way. And so, yes, we can have a healthy detachment, even for the plenary indulgence, which calls us to be detached from sin, mortal and venial. It doesn't mean, that doctrine on the plenary indulgence does not mean you will never, ever sin again. My goodness, you're not the Immaculate Conception. What it does mean is that you do not have an unhealthy attachment to sin at the time of the seeking of the, indulge, of the indulgence. 
Rather, you have a detachment from sin at the time of the seeking of the indulgence. But it doesn't mean that you'll never sin again. We're, we're weak. We're fallen creatures. We'll, we'll sin again, God willing, only venially and not mortally. We'll sin again, but you don't have an unhealthy attachment to the venial sin or to the mortal sin. Wonderful. For, you have opened my eyes, Father, to see this in a whole new way, and for that, I know I'm grateful, and I'm sure our listeners are too. We are unfortunately out of time, but could I ask before we conclude, would you offer a prayer or a blessing for our listeners today? Absolutely, Adam. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, descend upon all members of the Covenant Radio Network audience and remain with all of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. Are you enjoying this episode of Roadmap to Heaven? Are you saying to yourself, I wish I could listen to this again? Well, good news, you can. Just go to your favorite podcast app and search Roadmap to Heaven by Covenant Network to find this episode and more. And for even more great Catholic content, be sure to visit www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R-CatholicRadio.org and click on the Programs tab for some great shows. And now back to Roadmap to Heaven. We are back, and we have our catechist question for you today. On Thursday, well, here's our catechist question for today. On Thursday, we celebrate the Feast of the Archangels, the Feast of Saints Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Now, uh, you may be familiar with the names of the three archangels, and all three appear in sacred scripture. But do you know the order in which they make their appearances by name in sacred scripture. Do you know it? If you had to if you had to guess, is it Michael Gabriel Raphael, Gabriel Raphael Michael? What is it? What's the order? Well, the order is that Saint Raphael appears first, followed by Saint Gabriel and then Saint Michael. In fact, in the book of Tobit, chapter 12, we read uh, in verses 11 through 21 about Raphael's appearance. Um and Raphael appears and says, I am Raphael, one of the seven angels who stand and serve before the glory of the Lord. And then in Luke chapter 1, we have the announcement of the birth of Jesus. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth. And then finally in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels battled against the dragon. The dragon and its angels fought back. By the way, this is one of my favorite passages in sacred scripture um, because it talks about that battle. And we all like to think we know who who wins the battle. We do. We do. That is 100 percent correct. We know who wins the battle. However, there's no guarantee in the sacred scriptures that we won't be a casualty on the battlefield. You know, I know very holy people that through one act, through one act, have fallen victim to sin and persisted in unrepentant mortal sin, you know, that I know of. Not personally, but through reading and church history and things like that. We know that it's happened. We also know people that live a life of sin and sin and sin and sin. They have that conversion experience, and then they are contrite, as we just heard Father Wade talking about. And we pray for the hope of their soul in heaven. 
there are good people who persist in grave sin. You know, we, we walk through life saying, oh, is it really that bad? You know, if we're walking through life, I had a, t- a teacher who said this to me once. I'm going to paraphrase what he said. But essentially his point was if you're walking through life saying, eh, is it really that bad? Odds are it is and you need to check what you're doing because you're probably in a world of trouble. And sadly, how many people do you and I know that are such pe- people of goodwill, good intention people, but they don't go to reconciliation. They don't see a need for it. They persist in that grave sin. Oh, you know, I'm not as bad as that other person. And I'm not trying to single anyone out. You know, lest I pull the plank out of my eye before I approach the splinter in yours. Because I have had those moments in my life, too. And I think we all just need to be careful of it. But there's the answer to your question. Raphael appears first, then Gabriel, then St. Michael. And with St. Michael, I get that great reminder that as the battle of revelations rages on around us, the spiritual battle, we need to make sure that we stay with the winning side and not defect to the losing side. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. When we come back, we're actually going to talk about the Archangels with Father Jeffrey Kirby. So don't go anywhere. There's more Roadmap to Heaven to come after this. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. And every now and then, my kids are asking me about the cartoons I watched as a kid. And They say, oh, what was your favorite one? I always tell them it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael. And they're like, hey, aren't there some angels named that too? And I'm like, well, there's one of them. (laughs) There's an archangel named Raphael, St. Raphael, uh, depending on how you pronounce it. Here to uh, speak with us today about the archangels is our good friend, Father Jeffrey Kirby from Our Lady of Grace in South Carolina. Father, good morning to you. And uh, let's talk about these archangels. We've got St. Gabriel, the archangel, St. Michael, the archangel, and St. St. Raphael, who's probably the one we hear the least about, but all three are important. Amen. Amen. So so if we look at the the whole just ministry of the angels, I, I love the angels. Like here at my parish, I'm constantly nurturing devotion to the, to the angels, guardian angels, the archangels, like always, because there's just the reality that we have all of these ministers of God being sent to us who control, you know, the skies and, and the stars and the, the laws of, of gravity and being and who are here in order to help us and, and control us and, and, and sustain us. And that's just beautiful and powerful. It shows, again, God's providence. You know, I, I think it's interesting that when they asked Sir Isaac Newton, who supposedly discovered the law of gravity, when they asked him who enforces the law of gravity, Sir Isaac Newton said, well, the angels, right? So this great man of science, it was obvious. Like, of course, the angels, right? So, so I think we have so much to learn from the angels. And, and in our tradition, we say there are seven archangels. But uh, of the seven archangels, only three of the names have been revealed to us. And sometimes say, well, who are the other four? Say, well, it's none of your business. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Holy Spirit said we didn't need to know. So, uh, but we have been given three. And I think that the three names we, we've been given are, have been given uh, specifically uh, with a mission attached. Because what did Gabriel do? He, he announced good news. Uh, Michael, he fights bad spirits. And what does Raphael do? He heals. And I think in many re- respects that encapsulates what we're supposed to be doing as the children of God. Uh, specifically as disciples of the Lord Jesus, we announce good news, we fight bad spirits, and we seek to heal those around us. So I think in the archangels we see reflections of what we are called to do of, of our own vocation as children of God. 
You know, it's really interesting to me, Father, because when I hear the word arc or, or arch, you know, we live in St. Louis, so we've got a big arch downtown, and we love that word, the arch. But when I he- think of that, I think of like arch nemesis or arch enemy. That, that That's my number one, the, the biggest, baddest bad guy that I could ever fight in my crime-fighting detective series or superhero series, the arch villain. But when we talk about angels and the ranks of angels, as powerful and as mighty as Gabriel, St. Gabriel and St. Michael and St. Raphael are, in the grand scheme of angels, they're actually not at the top of the ladder in this. No, no. In fact, people are oftentimes surprised by that. So similarly in, in our spiritual tradition, and by the way, we inherited this from Judaism. So this is a millennia, millennia of, of mystical teaching, theological teaching, uh, drawn from the scriptures, the revelations of God. But you know, our tradition, the, the Jewish tradition, teaches that there are actually nine choirs of angels. And, and to your point, Adam, like, you know, the lower the angels, our guardian angels are part of that choir. And then the next level, so eight down, are the archangels. So when we think of you know, archangels, yeah, they're powerful to be feared in, in, in a holy way, feared especially by those who are engaged in evil enterprise, but they really are not one of the higher ones. And, and of course, we go through all the different levels, and, and St. Paul describes them for us in his writings. He speaks about powers and dominions and principalities and so on. These are choirs of angels he's describing, the virtues, another get a choir of angels. And then these are the ones who control everything. So they control the, the law of gravity. They control uh, the movement of the stars and the seas. They control everything. They, all that God's providence controls, these angels, these messengers, these ministers of God, they are the ones who move and control. And, and again, I, I just want to throw that in there that someone could be a complete man of, or woman of science and yet be completely devoted to the Christian faith and understand the beauty of the angels. Like there's no conflict here. It doesn't have to be. But I think when we speak about the archangels, they are in the lowest. Uh, let me say we go to the very high, to the, to the top of the angels. Uh, the highest of the angels are the seraphim. And <laughs> I think it's powerful because seraphim comes from the Hebrew expression. It means the burning ones because they're so close to God and to his love that they literally burn with a love for God. And then right below the seraphim, you have the cherubim. So those are the two highest. They are the angels that directly minister to God and to his throne. And again, this beautiful image of the ones who are the closest, they burn because God is just so full of love. God is love that they themselves just burn with this love. And, and again, the ministry of the angels, I, I'm excited even with just talking because it's like, this is great stuff, you know? And, and it just shows us that all the visible things we see, there is infinity of reality that's invisible. We can't see, but it's very real and it's very active in our lives. One of my favorite images uh, when we talk about sacred art is actually in the 1962 hand missile that my dad had as a boy when he was a little altar server at St. Mary's in Alton, Illinois. And there's an image of the priest offering the mass and you see the faithful gathered in the pews, but then around the altar and above it, you see all of the the choirs of angels and the communion of saints. And, you you know, it's this whole otherworldly picture that we can't see with our eyes, but we believe with the eyes of faith. One time, Father, you used the image of the uh, souls and purgatory that, you know, if if we pray just one soul out of purgatory, it'd be a louder cheer than the biggest baseball stadium or football stadium of, of fans. You know, that's the communion of saints cheering us on to heaven, too. And it's really a great thing. I want to wrap up with this because we're talking about the choirs of angels. And you mentioned our guardian angels. And we talked about St. Michael. We're in this spiritual combat every day. We talked about that a few weeks ago here on the show. And how often do we forget to turn to St. Michael and ask for his protection, ask for his aid, or even 
to our own guardian angel that God has assigned to us. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot you were there. And yet here's this great spiritual being assigned to us to assist us in this battle on this earthly pilgrimage. That's right. And and I want to encourage all the listeners. Uh, we, we have guardian angels to, to pray to them. We have beautiful set prayers that we can use. We can just pray from our hearts uh, to our guardian angel to imagine that a pure spiritual being has been assigned to us by God in order to help us to get to heaven. Uh, the spiritual masters tell us that if we saw the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the angels, we would think that it was God himself because wow. he would be so resplendent and so beautiful and so powerful. And to think that that lowest of the lowest has been assigned to us, or maybe not so low has been assigned to us, that we have this guardian angel. And I want to encourage that. And also I know that a lot of parishes have, have started praying the St. Michael the Archangel prayer at the end of Mass. Uh, we, we do here at my parish, and I think it's a beautiful practice. If, if a parish doesn't do it, I encourage the faithful to pray it on their own. Because it's a beautiful way after receiving the grace of Holy Communion and, and concluding worship, to then go back out into the mission field, to back out in the midst of the world. And as we're doing so, to say, okay, now St. Michael, protect me, <laughs> because I know that I'm going to be tempted to compromise. I know it's going to be difficult out there. I know I'm going to get kind of beaten up by the fallenness of the world, but but help me out. I have the grace of Holy Communion, grace of God. Now help me with this spiritual battle. So I think it's a beautiful custom, a beautiful way of you know, calling on the angels to help their help in, in our daily lives. As you say that, I'm thinking of the huddle in a football game, and I'm a recent football fan. But, you know, you're not going to get anywhere if you stay in the huddle. There are those who are called to stay in the church praying constantly. Those those are our monastics, and it's a wonderful vocation, but most of us aren't called to that. We're going to have to leave the doors just as the football player has to leave the huddle. And, and who makes the way? Well, the blocker. They push all the other teammates they can out of the way. And sometimes, you know, I have to remember, that's our guardian angel. As, as the evil spirits are coming after me, you know, how can we snipe away at Adam's marriage here or chip away there in his life? There's an angel running pass block for me, and that's a really beautiful thing. Father, could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? Absolutely. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your holy angels. We ask that you continue to allow them to minister in our lives. May we continue to welcome their presence in order to draw closer to you. And we ask these and all good things through Christ our Lord. And may Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it's always a joy to talk with Father Kirby. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. Visit us today. And now back to this podcast. This week on the Daily Dosa of Encouragement, we are talking about evangelization, and Patty Schneier is here with another encouragement for us on this Tuesday. Well, yesterday we talked about the hard work of evangelization, the fasting, the prayers, the, the, the hope that we have to continue even when all things seem lost. But today I want to balance that with how easy it can be sometimes if we just take a little initiative. I want to tell a story that Father Brian Welter shared. He's the executive director of the Institute for Priestly Formation in Omaha. He told this story at a conference, and I heard it, and I, this has really stuck with me. In, before he was a priest, he was a construction worker in Chicago in the cold of winter. And at one job site, his boss lit a fire every day at lunch. He just took some wood. Again, there's lots of wood around a construction site. Lit some wood on fire, and all the guys would sit around and talk and eat their lunch. 
it's so easy, right, to light a fire at a construction site. Well, the next job site that Brian Welter went to, now Father Brian Welter went to, his new boss, there was no fire. There was never a fire during lunch, and all the guys were in their own cars eating by themselves. He said it was a totally different job site. And Father Brian Welter realized the difference between these two job sites, and he thought to himself, how easy it is to just light a fire. So he asked all of us, where can we invite, gather, talk, and listen, build relationships and courage? What wood is right in front of you right now? So what's in your pantry that you could throw together a meal and bring it to someone? Where can you light a fire? What's in your garage that your neighbor might need? What can you do to start a conversation? What's the wood around you where you can light a fire? And again, the message I got from this priest was, Sometimes it's so easy to just light a fire. Just look what's around you, use the opportunity, and start up a conversation. And so that balances. Yes, there can be hard work of evangelization, but sometimes it's really not that hard. It just takes a little initiative. Sometimes the hardest thing is actually just beginning. And Patty, this is a great encouragement for us today. Well, we've all been following the weather, and anytime a hurricane is poised to make landfall, it is an occasion for prayer, especially for those of us who may be in the way of some weather, and for those of us, though, as well, who are not in the way of some weather. And sitting here at my desk in our studio in St. Louis, I'm not terribly worried for myself about the hurricane, but I do worry about others. I read a reminder over the weekend that no matter where you all where you are, you can pray for those who will be affected. So let's pray for all those in the path of the hurricane. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From lightnings, hail, and tempests, deliver us, Lord Jesus Christ. Show unto us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. O Lord, hear our prayer, and let our cry come to thee. We beseech thee, Almighty God, grant to us through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the angels, patriarchs, prophets, apostles, martyrs, confessors, virgins, widows, and all of thy saints, thy protection. Grant that peace may be in the air and let flow against lightning and tempest thy salvation from the sky above us. Unworthy as we are, and with thy strong right arm, defend thy people always against the hostile powers of the skies. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. Holy guardian angels, protect us. Saint Michael, defend us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, wonderful prayer that we can pray in times of anticipated bad weather. And, you know, I know several people who have invoked St. Michael the Archangel in times of bad weather, and it's been a fruitful prayer for them. If nothing else, bring in them some peace. Tomorrow on the show, speaking of St. Michael, tomorrow on the show, we're going to be talking quite a bit about St. Michael the Archangel, and I am looking forward to that. I hope you are too, and I hope that you'll join us. I'd like to remind you that if you want to hear today's show again, you can go to wherever you get your podcast and search Roadmap to Heaven. 
by Covenant Network, uh, and you can find it there. Or just go to our website, ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R, catholicradio.org. Or as we were saying last week, not your Catholic radio, not my Catholic radio, but our Catholic radio. And it's truly a joy to be together. Let's uh, give thanks for today's show. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Heaven, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll leave you with this thought from a meeting I was at last night. The At the beginning of the meeting, we prayed the Hail Mary, and the leader said, sometimes I feel like we're, we're just praying the Hail Mary, but then I remember the Hail Mary is not just a prayer. It's a very powerful prayer, and uh, we should never be ashamed to entrust our intercession to the Blessed Mother by praying that prayer. So you know what I'm about to say about praying the Hail Mary about 53 times for Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Thank you for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today.